I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole, hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 263 with C. Lee, Deep Sea Tarot. We shall be talking about mysticism, tarot, being psychic, and of course, one of the most important elements, water. Welcome and well met. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. I don't know you for shit, but that's going to change briefly, clearly. Um, I'll get into that in a second. But something we do on these uh, podcasts is to take the episode number, which in this case is 263, reduce it numerologically, which in this case would be 11, but that becomes a 2. So we have the High Priestess card, I offer up the mysteries of life. The High Priestess is about trusting your intuition, listening to your inner guides, understanding yourself better listening to the music of the universe and allowing creative creative ideas to germinate Raphael, what card are you pulling which one we're both gonna laugh so, because if it's sun card he just he pulled sun for the last three episodes and he's shuffling so and i just started really with this so i'm i mean i don't know i was thinking like maybe give me a cue or something when to stop shuffling i don't know so maybe i can short circuit this jim oh I'm li- I think all I'm right i'll just take this yeah, one or- <laughs> <laughs> oh well it's almost see the the synchronicity continues this is the moon oh. and yeah i, I don't think we can get a better match for this one so <laughs> so between the moon card um i mean if you want to spit off a little about that Rafael, you can uh if not that's all good too i'm just surprised right now because i was totally gonna say no this is certainly a water card but actually i'm seeing it's an earth element at least the main association okay. but the but but which is interesting. I didn't even know that. Did you know Moon is an Earth card elementally? Well, the these associations are Neptune, Poseidon, so we have the water, Vishnu, and Kepra, and yeah, the other symbols I can't find right now. But yeah, inside imagination, dreams, also hidden enemies, danger, deception, occult forces, illusion, and hysteria. So, you know, both sides of Neptune. Lunacy, but of course. So um, I'm wondering, see, between the high priestess, this kind of, uh, you know, esoteric hidden reality, um, and that moon card, very resonant still, uh, what syncs up for you? What's popping? Oh, man. This uh, whole experience of getting on the podcast has been so synchronistic from the very first moment. And the fact that today is today's episode is an 11 number that happens to be my birth card, Justice, which does boil down to the High Priestess, which I happen to have oh, this image tattooed on my arm, which is the High Priestess card um, in the Spacious Tarot, which is one of the decks that I really enjoy working with. Um, so I just think that's really perfect. Um, obviously, the High Priestess also has a strong correlation with the moon. 
and my dog's name is Luna. So I think it's all very synchronistic. I'm like, of course, that all makes perfect sense. It does. With Jupiter and Pisces right now, I mean, I think we're going to get a lot of water energy. And I know we, I mean, I'm not going to give you like a full chart reading, but uh, we'll look at your chart in a second. You are a Virgo sun and moon, but you do have a grand water trine, which is dope. Um, and a kite, ultimately. In your do you maybe, chart, Jim, um, before we mention this, want to explain right away mm -hmm. what that means? Because it sounds really right. cool. Sounds like some mystical ability well, in a role-playing game, but can you talk about it? <laughs> I'll show, I mean, I don't know if you guys can see it. You can't. Uh, barely because of the glare of technology or whatever. Um, basically, when you have a trine, it's like you have literal, you'll see a triangle. You actually have a kite, so there's a, a triangle on top of that, like making a kite. Um, you'll, it's, it's, it's when I'm trying to think if it's 120 degrees or what. Now, this is where math fails me, but the point is uh, a trine is when you're getting the same element hit from three angles a triangle um so in your case you'd be having jupiter in your north node and pluto in scorpio trining uh mars and cancer which i actually have two psychedelic and then all the way down to saturn and pisces so it makes this uh it basically i mean you're psychic let's just put it that way um i know you're an earth sign so you probably are more organized and grounded uh, that helps. You're not just like, you know, in the loony bin, lunacy bin, ironically. Um, but you're going to be hearing voices. You're going to be tapping into magic. You're going to be having pretty intense drug trips, that kind of thing. Um, I don't need to go off onto it long, but basically it's not like it's uber rare. Kite's pretty rare. You have a kite. Um, but it just emphasizes the fact that that's a very strong element in your reality water. I mean, I don't have your full chart here because you took a screenshot, but if you were to look at um, on astro.com, that's uh, Astro Matrix. I use that too. Because it, I love Astro Matrix, but it glitches out a lot. So it feels like a bunch of millennial Russians made the app or something. I'm like, what is happening? Like, they're on it, but not quite. Um, but on Astro.com, you can see uh, there's a little quartile um, between the kind of bullet points, like Sun, Moon, Mars, Mercury, and all the aspects. There's a little, uh, what's it called? A rubric of um, the elements and kind of all the major planets where they would be as well as your modalities which are cardinal fixed immutable i'm rambling i can't see that but but anyway a lot of jargon at you at once um but yeah basically she's magical let's just put it that way she's very intuitive and very uh, creative emotional passionate uh whatever you know cups energy water energy so um i like i said i don't know you from adam or eve but we had neon felicity come on uh many moons ago and he um is somebody that I barely know. It's kind of an internet friend. At some point, he was like, oh, come out to the West Coast. There's a festival. You want to volunteer? I heard you've never been to a festival. And I was like, sure. And then I did that for a few days and did my first liquid, uh, yeah, liquid acid there. And that was a lot of fun. Um, not a very big festival, Orcas Island. Um, but I digress. Uh, the point is, he at some point hit me up and was like, oh, I met this girl. And she was pulling cards or whatever you were doing at a festival. I don't know how he knows you. And um, he suggested we get you on. So many months ago, I was like, come on. And between existential crises on my end and scheduling conflicts in general, uh, we've been kicking the can, but here we is. So it's happening. Um, yes. So we can kind of, I, I typically like getting to kind of, I mean, even if I was best friends with you, I'd be like, tell us your story. Like, let's figure, you can start as, you know, what kind of culture you grew up in and how life was when you started turning on to magic and mysticism. Anything, you know, however you want to bite that apple, you can go for it. Yeah, I'm happy to. I'd love to um, first just 
say a little something about neon felicity and the way yep. that that all synchronistically came together so um i met him at still dream festival this last summer where i was teaching my very first uh tarot workshop and i was also camping with this beautiful group of people called the serendipitous circus they're flow artists and performers and they had like different dress up days for every day and Sunday, the day that I was doing my workshop, happened to be um, through the looking glass themed. And I am a huge Alice in Wonderland fan. I've got a massive tattoo on my thigh, all dedicated, dedicated to Alice. And I was dressed up in full Alice garb um, <laughs> teaching this workshop. And we had like a mad tea party afterwards. And so that's what I was wearing when I met Neon. And um, when I connected with him later on, he was like, yeah, I know about this podcast. You should come on. And when I found out that it was called Team Rabbit Hole, I was just like, well, isn't that the most synchronistic thing ever? And actually, when I was um, looking at my like horoscope and the, the astro for the day this morning, um, it said something about how the moon is in Gemini and this is a perfect time for diving down rabbit holes. So I was like, perfect. It all lined up really synchronistically. And I just, that's how I really know when I'm in the right place is when those little nudges from the universe are all pointing in the same direction. So I've never actually read cool. Alice in Wonderland. I'll be honest. Uh, it's not, that's not where this, in a sense, I'll, okay, so long story short, and it's very brief. At one point, I was growing weed in Fort Collins, and I was isolated pretty hardcore, and I started eating acid once a week and waking up like pretty hard. In 2013, I was like, holy shit, I see astrology. I see tarot. What the fuck? Um, and then it basically, I was just like starting to make hashtags that were kind of weird because I was tired of people posting up about food selfies and just weird shit that didn't matter to me. And I was just like, oh, here's a cool Ram Dass quote or whatever, Terrence McKenna quote. Um and so it, the idea is like, we're, you know, group, I mean, I'm an 11th house, I'm in Gemini, so Aquarius and Jupiter, so very kind of a royal we energy. Uh, so we're all a team and we're definitely going down a rabbit hole post 2012. I don't know how you feel, um, but it feels like in a Terrence McKenna kind of way, we've kind of tripped a, a trigger, a cosmic trigger. Um, so that's kind of where the origins for that goes. But it also obviously ties into uh, Morpheus's little statement, which we use in a remix for the intro. Um, Raphael's scrounge that up. It's funny that you mentioned Alice in Wonderland. I, I mean, I'm a Disney junkie, personally. Like, I grew up on that shit pretty hard. Um, and that was one movie I would watch occasionally, but it just didn't hit me in the same spot. Cheshire Cat's pretty dope, but otherwise, I was just, like, not into it. And I've never read the books. And we actually had a girl named Molly right on being like, oh, this is all associated with, like, pedophilia and, like, weird shit. And I was just like, oh, well, I didn't know that. So, that's a long rant. Um, but the Alice in Wonderland motif isn't one that is like i mean i think i guess i'm subconsciously channeling it or whatever's going on but that's not like the point for me um before we go too far uh into your own story i'm just kind of curious what like you're 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 enough into it to fucking ink yourself um so what do you know about the book or you know i, I i'm pretty sure the guy was like writing it about his niece or some shit and he was giving her um, a laudanum or something crazy. oh yeah. yeah yeah i know a lot about all the history of alice i've read both books i know about alice little who is the real woman that or girl at the time that the books are um made after uh, or inspired by and there is a lot, you know, like you could go down that rabbit hole pretty deep. There's definitely questions about what kind of substances, if any, 
um, Lewis Carroll or Charles Dodgson, as his real name is, um, was on. He did have an affinity for hanging out with children. He did have an affinity for taking photos of young girls. Um, and back then, the um, they didn't have as many stigmas about modesty as we do now, especially in photographs. And so there are a, there is quite a, a collection of um, photos that he took of Alice and her sisters and her friends um, in various stages of undress. Um, so that's where like all of the pedophilia questions come in. The books are amazing. They're very creative, um, very fantastical. Actually, the sequel, Through the Looking Glass, is a chess game. And at the beginning of the book, he puts out all of the moves that the characters take so that you can actually play the game as you read the book, which is a really cool thing. He was, a, I believe, a mathematics professor, so he had a very wild mind. Um, I just relate to that story um, very deeply because I've always felt uh, curious, curiouser and curiouser as um, the books say. And there are just so many quotes um, from that book that I really deeply resonate with. The one that I chose for my tattoo says, um, it's no use going back to yesterday because I was a different person then. And that's really something that I live by because I do believe that I'm changing every day and looking back isn't really an option. So, yeah, I could go as deep into that as you would like, but that's, that's like... I was just like, I don't know what the connotations <laughs> are and I've never read the book. I, I prefer the Disney animation to anything that um, Johnny Depp was doing uh or whatever i didn't i didn't even see that movie i i can't even say if it's good or bad some things i'm just smug about i guess um all right so ironically you said i don't even look back let's look back shelly okay, um, yeah. <laughs> kind of tell us where you're growing up are you a west coast kid were you raised you know hardcore protestant like wh where are you coming from and like how did you get to where you are basically yeah you could be as long -winded or short-winded as you want to be so i was super blessed to have grown up in Lake Tahoe. Um, so I kind of grew up right on the border of Nevada, California. Both states are very close to my heart and had a huge influence on who I am, especially growing up in a place with clean air, clean water. Um, I went to a really good school. I was very privileged to have had that childhood anytime people learn that I'm actually from Tahoe. They're like, what? Like, you're from there? Like, you're so lucky. And I you're definitely welcome. feel that. I know, really. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was really lucky in that sense. Um, my family was very Christian. So my introduction into spirituality was through Christianity and the Bible. Um, I believe I got my first Bible when I was six years old and really got into the faith on my own um, in middle school. I was very, um, that was like where my social life was. That was what I was really passionate about. And so that kind of formed the foundation for my spiritual knowledge. And it wasn't until about high school that I started questioning what I was reading and looking deeper into the stories in the Bible and 
finding those places where it didn't make sense. So I'd be happy to share a little bit more about that journey. I have oh, a couple sure. key, I'm, like... I'm, I'm a Christian still. I was raised Protestant, and my grandparents actually found helped found Tim Keller's church in Manhattan. So I'm coming from, like, hardcore... I mean, we could talk about DMT trips and weird shows. Like, Christianity is very much part of my psychedelic experience still. And, and when I got started reading, they were like, you were in a scene walking with Jesus and all this shit. I'm like, what? Um, so I'm not against it in any way. Uh, so don't feel bad. Like you're not proselytizing me or Raphael. He's yeah. kind of love in all sense. Uh, he's the Cheshire cat or the, the caterpillar in a weird way. Um, but yeah, tell us, um, I mean, I remember very distinctly like Genesis, like five something or, you know, one five or something being like the, the Nephilim being like, yo, what's that about? Like, this is a serious rabbit hole and no one's addressing yeah. it. Like what the fuck? But, uh, yeah, the conscious yours. Yeah, so the first, um, one of the first, like, encounters that I really had with, like, communicating with God came when I was very young. Um, I had a really hard time sleeping at night when I was a kid. I had a lot of fear that, like, if I was going to fall asleep, something terrible would happen to my family. And my mind, I don't know why, but my mind went, ranged everywhere from like monsters to like bears attacking to us to wildfires to murderers like I really just believed that anything bad could happen <laughs> if I went to sleep and so I would stay up at night thinking about all of these horrible things and having a really hard time getting rest and so I had my bible and I remembered my mom telling me like if you're ever scared open your bible and so one night, I think I was sleeping in a house that wasn't my own. So my fears were like extra loud. And I turned to my Bible and I flipped it open. And I flipped open to Proverbs. I believe it was 24-3. I could be getting those numbers mixed up. But it essentially said, when you lie down, do not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord is your guide and he will protect you. And I was Props like... on memory, Jesus Christ. That was really good. It was, I was, like, I I was a really big um, turning point because after yeah. that night, like... I had no trouble sleeping. I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm fine. I don't have to worry. And that was my first encounter with like intuition, divination, essentially, because that was, um, what do you call it? Biblio. Bibliomancy. Bibliomancy. Yeah. Yes. Bibliomancy. Okay. Um, so that's essentially bibliomancy. And that was, um, the first encounter I really had with that happening. Um, so fast forward a little bit, I was like 12 years old, maybe a little younger. And my best friend, my neighbor down the street, um, Phoebe House, she and I started playing this game that we called magic, where we would go to imaginary worlds in our mind and encounter imaginary animals and um, have adventures together. Like in our mind dragons for american girl dolls or whatever and, yeah and i really wrestled with my conscience about this because i thought that i was like following the wrong path or that like god didn't want me to do that and so i remember telling her one day like i can't do magic anymore like i need to be a good christian girl and i just like stopped doing it completely and that's like one of the regrets that i have because had i continued down that path at that age i would have had 
I really would have had the chance to develop my intuition and my ability to, I mean, I could be astral traveling by this time, things like that. But I kind of had to start over because I really believed that that was not um, in accordance with God's will for me. And I was really, that was my main source of um, a validation, basically. Yeah. Just for the record, I mean, looking at your, uh, you have a sun and moon in Virgo, which is opposite your Saturn, which is all about like structure, karma, rules in pisces so your son opposite saturn you and it's in pisces so it's about spiritual structure spiritual truth you uh, and given the fact that you have a north node and jupiter and scorpio you probably are naturally transgressing in a sense like taboos are not terribly crazy to you but you're going to have that opposition where you're like who i am is going against the spiritual rule <laughs> so yeah. i mean that might be a whole lifetime of that process just so you know <laughs> oh yeah i know i am Interestingly enough, I've been journaling since I was very young, since I was about six years old, and um, I still do. So that's like two decades of my life written down. And I'm actually just now, for the first time ever, taking the journey of like reading back through those journals and revisiting that part of myself. And um, I wrestled with that so hard when I was a kid. Like my journals are full of, am I a good person as I'm like 11 or like seven? Like, yeah, like why am I worried about my existential value in that age? Uh, it goes with yeah. the territory of Christianity. So it's like, you're going to hell unless you get it right. <laughs> or totally. whatever. That can kind of fuck your psyche up. And it's ironic because I, like I said, I'm still, I would never proselytize to people or whatever, but it's like, I think there's a lot of value with the Christ idea and like, it might've been very historically important, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't like, I mean, usually with pagans, I sound like a, you know, a crazy preacher. And then with Christians, they're like, burn him at the stake or whatever. So it's just like, you know, you, I think you kind of probably have a similar reality tunnel, maybe. Yeah, um, I didn't absolutely. Mean and no, inside note, as a Virgo son of moon, no shit, you fucking take notes in the form of journaling. It's like, of course, <laughs> and the structure of Saturn in Pisces is going to be like, you you should be dream journaling. Like you should be yeah. documenting your life because you'll look back and be like, that was a whirlwind. And I am such a different, you know, it's like metamorphic rock. It, you know, it's not going to stay the same. Uh, you, yeah. are, you are an earth sign, but you are very uh, transmutational just naturally. Anyway, um, right. keep going. I didn't mean to All that beautiful energy completely. So that's been really interesting to kind of see that journal, that journey laid out in my journals. Um, Yeah, so around high school, I mean, when I was in middle school, I was very, very much Christian. I went to my first Christian music festival. I spent my days at youth group. I'd I'd like to mention that I was also very um, overprotected. I didn't have a whole lot of freedom um, growing up, um, which blessed my mom's heart. She just loved me and wanted to keep me safe. But it was trying to raise up a child in the way they should go. (laughs) yeah exactly so it was very I like I was a voracious reader my whole life because that was like where I got to live out the adventures that I was dreaming of um and so that's where I kind of found my the place that I fit in was in the Christian religion and um in youth group and stuff like that but then it was like in high school one day that feeling that I had of like God always being with me just kind of went away yeah Yeah. and it was so weird because and i was like where where is it and i was still going to church still going to youth group and 
just not feeling this connection that I had felt. Um, and it was also at the same time that I was like really starting to read into the Bible and seeing what made sense and what didn't add up in my mind. And so I was like, all right, well, if this isn't working anymore, like what else is there? Um, and I read this book that was very influential for at the time it was called love wins and it was by a um an author and a youth group preacher named rob bell and it was essentially a different um perspective of the bible based on the language um and he essentially said that you know hell wasn't a thing that we were all destined to reach heaven and that heaven was actually something that we would bring down into earth and um, he backed this all up by different translations of the things in the Bible. And that really struck a chord within me and like caused a different way of looking at um, spirit. The so, secret texts. <laughs> yeah. is, it's funny. I don't know much about Rob Bell. I'll just say really quick. Uh, some of his um, analysis is stuff like, okay, the idea of hell is like Gehenna, which is like the trash pit of Israel. So it's yes. like a really bad vibes place or the sulfur yeah. lake of fire. That's a Greek kind of um, transliteration of ideas because they were obviously, you know, uh, um, doing the whole Septuagint in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew or whatever is going on there. So, um, yeah, little I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but little ideas like that were uh, uh, it's very um, I don't remember how universalist it is or whatever, but. At some point, similarly, uh, it's like, why am I, you know, I was raised a Calvinist, so it's like, get this shit straight. Oh, my God. Like, you got to, you know, there's only an elect group of people. Everyone's going to hell, all this stuff. And at some point, I was like, I'd rather focus on the Isaiah prophecies, like where it's like, you know, the New Jerusalem and everyone's jamming in their own vibes. But we're all like understanding of like namaste at a Christian level or whatever. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But yeah, Rob Bell's kind of a exegetical uh, interpretation is taking the... um he's he's assessing it that way uh where it's like look yeah. we've made a mental image but if you start deconstructing it's very culturally relative i guess you could say yeah so that changed the way that i looked at this faith that i had grown up with and when i reached college i took a religion class because i wanted to learn about all the other paths that were out there all the other faiths and that was very informative for me and i kind of decided like okay well i'm not a christian i'm not a buddhist um but i am spiritual and i have a connection with something and so i'm gonna figure out what that is if i had to put a, a label on it um now i would probably most identify with pagan because i feel like that's where my ancestry lies and i do find a lot of um comfort and familiarity in living in accordance with the wheel of the year. I don't necessarily like have faith in any sort of deities, but I've always believed in fairies my whole life. And so that's like where I feel the most, um, the most pull and what kind of guides my um, relationship with the earth around me. I think one of the biggest there's a few things um, about Christianity that I'm really like, I can't vibe with. And I'm happy to share those here. Um, the first, the idea of original sin. I can't imagine like if I ever had a kid saying you were born flawed and you have to 
live your whole life making up for your inherent flaws in order to be accepted and not go to hell. Like, I really do believe that we're all perfect just the way that we are. We all have divinity within us um, exactly as we are. And I think that's a very, it was a very damaging idea for me um, growing up and brought about a lot of shame that I've been working through in the past years. And I also think that it's easy when you're a Christian to kind of like forget about this planet that we're on and put all your focus into heaven. Like, oh, it's all good. I'm going to be in heaven someday. So yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, I really do believe that God is in everything, in all of the rocks and the plants and the animals that are on this planet and in connecting with nature we connect deeper with ourselves and i think that's a really important thing and i think it's something that more pagan um spirituality encourages um so yeah so those are a couple of the big follow ones. the rule they're like whatever let's just vote republican yeah. and blow the world up or whatever so <laughs> yeah uh i mean whatever it is what it is I, yeah there's a lot of discontent with christianity uh i think um it might have been uh i forget who it was um the guy who talked to animals saint francis of assisi um he was like preach the gospel preach the gospel preach the gospel and if you have to use words do it uh and one other little dumb trivioid of christian funniness uh saint augustine the guy who like really had a big impact on christian thinking um he was a pagan for a long time and he was having an existential crisis and basically was like what the fuck I don't know what to do. And he practiced bibliomancy, basically this girl out of the alleyway or something. He heard her saying like, leg it tole, leg it tole, which is like, pick it up and read it. And so he picked up the nearest book, which is the Bible, open it. And it's like, you got to convert or whatever. And he's like, all right, I'll do it. So he had a kind of a reverse version of your situation. But Oh, wow. Um, yeah, life is crazy like that. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm just like, if I don't say this, I won't say it. So I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Um, anyway, so you started, uh, what was your major in college? I I was a humanities major, and it took me a long time to get there. I started out um, doing, I think, psychology, and then I was like, no, 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 no. There's way too much, like... Science. Yeah, science. Too much science in that. And then I wanted to be a journalist, and then I was like, oh, gosh, like, I'm not going to be manipulated into manipulating other people into thinking a certain way. Like, if I'm going to be a journalist, I want my truth to be out there. And I realized how difficult it is in this society to actually do that because I've always loved writing. Um, so for the longest time, I was like, I, I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to college. So I got a full ride to this beautiful private liberal arts school in Tahoe. And I asked my um, I asked my advisor, like, do I have to pick a major? Like, can't I just do the classes that interest me and call it good? And he was like, yeah, you could, but then you'll be the only person to go through four years of college and not get a degree. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I had a friend be like, well, what are you taking? Like, what are you interested in? I'm like, oh, you know, religion, philosophy, like um, sociology. She's like, you're a humanities major. And I was like, oh, that's a thing. So I found my niche and I learned, oh, and my school was really cool. So my minor was outdoor adventure and leadership. And I got 
credit for going on backpacking trips and kayaking trips and uh, winter camping, all these really cool um, expeditions. And I learned so much more in those trips than I did in any classroom at all, even though people always kind of laughed when I said that I was taking that in college. Um, so I got a really, really well-rounded education and I was really lucky because my teachers, I had teachers tell me like, don't believe everything that I say, like, don't believe everything that anyone says, like, think critically, think for yourself and formulate your own opinions. And so that really helped to shape who I am as a person and my ethics and my values. And yeah, I'm really grateful for the education that I received. I think it's really rare to get that kind of education. I, I was about to say, can you mention your college again? I'm curious. Yeah, it's called Sierra Nevada College. Really it was nice recently <laughs> it was recently taken over by um, the University of Nevada, Reno. So I don't know how much that's going to change the vibe there. But when I was going to school there, there were people like walking barefoot. My teachers would be like, oh, it's beautiful out today. Let's have class on the lawn. Like it was a very low key hippie college. And I loved it a lot. That minor is perfect for your Virgo Sun and Moon. And if you think about it, I mean, I'm an art history dropout, um, but largely it's like, oh, the like the psychology of why they were building these things or painting this, that, the other. Um, your psychology aspirations, even though you did a humanities degree, psychology and journalism, in a sense, storytelling and like talking about facts and you know reality, is what Tarot kind of is. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, you you get there anyway. So your interests Absolutely. have obviously, yeah been a thing so um all right so you graduated school i mean that time were you like doing psychedelics and going to raves or were you just like <laughs> christianity but you were still kind of straight edge or how'd that work oh yes 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 um i definitely started going to raves um i think i went to my first rave when i was 17 um and i went to my first festival in 2012 um still dream which is very very close to my heart and very influential in me figuring out the heck I was okay so here's another big part of my story that I didn't tell you guys yet I was a child actress so from what? the time that I was five years old until I was about 15 I was acting and modeling so um have we seen your 15, work 10 to 15, I was like mostly modeling. Um, if you, my big, my big gig, yeah. <laughs> the thing that I'm like famous for um, was being in the wedding planner when I was six years old with Jennifer Lopez and Matthew McConaughey. Okay, so rom-com. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. That was my big role. I played a little girl pretending to be Jennifer Lopez's doctor um, in the hospital scene <laughs> and I loved it. I had so much fun. Um, so yeah, that was a big part of my life. Um, especially in middle school, like I was driving down to, my mom was driving me down to San Francisco two or three times a week for auditions and modeling gigs. Um, 
And then when I reached about 15, I was kind of in that in-between age because I was mostly modeling at that time. And so I was too old to be like a kid model and I was too young to be an adult model. And there just wasn't a lot of work um, a for that age. for puberty, right? Essentially. Yeah. So, yeah. We want discrete age groups and you're morphing. So we'll talk to you later. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy as fuck though. What the fuck? Is JLo cool? I've heard she's not that nice. <laughs> When I met her, she was very was nice. Um, yeah, she was like, her role in that scene was to be like laying in the hospital bed. And so I was like, sitting on the hospital bed with her as a six year old, like, you're so beautiful. You're so nice. I want to be just like you when I grow up. Like I just was totally fangirling over her. She was very sweet to me. Everyone always asks, oh my gosh, you met Matthew McConaughey. Did you think he was hot? And I'm like, I was six years old. Um, I was actually not interested in Matthew McConaughey at all. I just wanted to hang out with JLo, but he loved me. Every time he walked into the room, he would scoop me up in his arms and carry me around. Um, so that was a very cool experience. That's and crazy. yeah, when I was 15, I basically had the choice of whether I wanted to continue down that path or whether I wanted to pull out. And I was kind of like burnt out from so much work. Um, I like to say, yeah, I've been working since I was five years old. That's a long time. Um, so I was like, you know, I think I'm going to like be a teenager and just go to high school and take a break. And if I ever want to get back into it, I will. And I'm often very grateful that I didn't continue down that path. I often I'm think about how wisely. different my life would be. Um, I honestly, if I'm going to be real with you, I have no doubt that I would have been one of those child actresses that went totally crazy in her early 20s and was all over the tabloids and... Um, yeah, because I was so overprotected as a kid and I had so much desire to experience all that life had to offer. So I very much could have been, you know, a Britney Spears scenario, which I'm so grateful that she is free from her her situation. But yeah, I could just I have so much compassion for her because I'm like, that's where I would be if that's where my life had taken me. It's always interesting to see. I mean, it's funny that you're saying you were a kid getting pictures taken of you, and that's the whole Lewis Carroll. Yeah. It's just a positive polarity thing and not, not in a creepy way. Um, but the uh, it's an industry. I mean, people forget that. It's weird because it gets uh, – it's – I mean, I've never modeled or done any of that stuff, but it's like I can't imagine how that would fuck with a kid's self-image and just like value yeah. set. Like, you know, you're like in a line with a bunch of kids who look like you and you're told you're not good enough or maybe you're you're the great one. Keep doing that or else. Um, that would be a lot of stress. So I think you did choose wisely uh, in a sense. Yeah. Um, so good on you. I mean, it's, it is what it is. I think I'm sure you would you'd be yourself either way in some weird way. But and just because you're uh, opening the can of yeah. worm, James. So how would you say to the degree that you can assess it? Was it affecting you psychologically it's always hard to tell you know in this incarnation it's kind of difficult to get the full experience of how would it be if it were different so what's the comparison like but is there anything you would have noticed for you maybe i don't know positive or negative in your own psychology or how you related to your friends or how you saw yourself or you know self-doubt or i don't know so the main thing that really affected me and kind of where I was getting at with this um, this anecdote is that I had 
I felt like I had no idea who I really was growing up because I spent so much time as a kid being other people, um, acting, modeling, reading. I would take on the personalities of whatever character in whatever book I was obsessed with at the time. I loved to play with dolls. Like I had a very strong imagination, but I would always be other people. And I didn't feel like I had a strong idea of who the heck I really was. Um, And so that was the main thing. There was also, you know, a lot of pressure and a lot of um, self-image things that I had to work through um, after that industry. Um, And also a lot of control. Like, that's a big difference of how my life is now. I'm a very big freedom person. I value freedom very much probably um, because of the lack of it that I felt growing up. But we had to ask my um, my agent before we did anything to my apparent appearance. We had agents that wanted to cut my hair. Um, when I was a kid, I had these like Shirley Temple ringlets. And um, some agents didn't think that was the look that they were looking for. And so you know, I know full well that if I was still in that industry, I would not have um, dreadlocks, I would not have tattoos, I would not have piercings, I would not have the freedom of self-expression that I value so highly now. So, so yeah, that was a big part of my life. Um, And I'm actually just now starting to reintegrate those experiences with who I am now. I've discovered that I really like performing still. I really like being on a stage. And I've been experimenting with um, performing dancing for festivals and music events in the last half of last year. Um, And I'm like, oh, this is still a part of who I am. I can just do it in a different way now. So um, yeah, Still Dream Festival in 2012 was really the first time that I felt like I encountered who I was as a person. And that was a very powerful experience for me. When I was growing up, I was very much a misfit. I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere except for like with my little group of misfit friends. And um, I had a hard time because I didn't know was I had a hard time like figuring out where I belonged I never really felt that sense of belonging and when I went to still dream for the first time I not only felt like I belonged somewhere for the first time in my life but I also felt like I was an important part of a community like I mattered to that community like I was adding something and that was a very powerful experience for me and sent off um almost year period of going to a ton of festivals and that was I've been working at festivals for the last five or six years um that's been my main source of income in the summertime and yeah with a whole are these like conscious festivals or is there a certain type of music you're going to typically or how, how are you assessing your op- opportunities there Yeah, so I live in California, so my main, uh, most of the festivals I'm going to are West Coast-based festivals, um, and with various degrees of consciousness. So I've been to um, Lightning in a Bottle and Lucidity, which are very conscious, have lots of workshops. I've been to Emissions, which is like 
only West Coast base, um, like kind of the other end of the spectrum. Um, I've been working at Burning Man for the last four years, um, which is an incredible experience. So kind of all over the um, all over the chart, but mostly surrounded around bass music and all mostly in California. Um, so, I mean, obviously, Burning Man is the kind of holy grail of festivals to people who are more psychedelic or interested in art and stuff. Um, to me, it looks like, I mean, I've never been in a, at this point. It's so commercial that I'm like, I don't know if I will go and COVID and everything. So um, I'm wondering if uh, it looks like being in a Dali painting, kind of, I guess, or something like that. Like, how would you, exp it, uh, obviously, every festival has a different vibe and maybe um, elements that are pushing it in a certain direction energetically or whatever. Um, but how has your experience been on the playa? Yeah, that is such a beautiful metaphor. And I've never thought about it in that way. But you're so spot on with that. Um, with that idea of like being in a dolly painting. Burning Man is really a different experience for a couple reasons. One, because it's a city. Um, so most festivals are like a very small like counterculture um that have a certain kind of people that go there um uh, burning man really has everything and every kind of person there um it's actually the the playa is the fourth black rock city is the fourth largest um city in nevada when it's going and um, the military actually studies it to see how we can build a full functioning city and tear it down within such a short amount of time. And so I work for the commissary, um, which feeds all the people that are building the city. And so I've actually been out there for six weeks at a time and seen Burning Man be built from, you go out there and it's just desert. There's nothing out there except a handful of shipping containers and some little like um, flags to show where the things are going to be. Um, and then watch the whole city be built, watch it become this thriving little mini metropolis um, of people with all of these funny little um, like nods to real life like for example all the art cars have to go to the dmv to get re registered which is the department of mutant vehicles and they have to like all wait in line and like get checked out and um fill out paperwork in order to be a part of the playa so that, that kind of thing always makes me laugh i'm like oh yep there's all the cars waiting in line at the dmv like something's never changed you know exactly. um and yeah, the idea of impermanence is another big part of Burning Man. Like, not only, I mean, all festivals have um, a certain amount of time that they are created for, but watching these incredible pieces of art that took months or even years to be created be burned to the ground really just brings you face to face with your own mortality and with your own um, ability to create and destroy. I once had a um, yoga teacher tell me that God is an acronym and it stands for generator, organizer, destroyer. And so I think that experiences like Burning Man really um, bring you 
intimately connected with that part of you that is able to create, that is able to organize, and that is able to destroy. And there's a lot of power in that. It's cool that you, um, like you're saying, you've been on the front lines of the commissary thing. It's very for going, very service oriented. But um, to see it just date, like, you know, from single cell to like baby to like the grave or whatever, that's pretty radical. Uh, the little, I forget what it's called, I guess, Imagine Festival um, in Orcas Island, setting that up a little and watching it and it being a part of it, it was very small, um, but that was stressful. So I can't imagine how much stress you must feel. <laughs> or, I, But I've also seen satellite images of this thing. And it's like, it is a sociological, like like the military is going to study this and psychologists are going to study this because there's, there's something... Um, I mean, it is like the definition of counterculture in a sense. It's going to take the best part of the world that they see and then regurgitate it in such a way that is so unique. Um, yeah. Now you're making me want to go, but I'm like, I don't know what I would go or whatever. But um, because festivals, I don't know about you, especially when I'm like tripping or something. Like, man, a lot of numbers of people are overwhelming. Like, I'll hear people's thoughts. Uh, you've got a oh, great yeah. water type, so I'm sure you have these kinds of experiences. Um, yeah. It could be a little much from just like, where's me? Where does it end? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, it could be a lot. So, um, what are we could move on from Burning Man and stuff, but I'm kind of curious what like the if like the the best moment in your life there ever was, or like and like something not not that you know the worst moment, but like something maybe funny or weird that <laughs> happened. So it doesn't have to be Burning, horrific. <laughs> Burning Man is a place of extremes. That is right. for sure. Um, and so you do like people say you're gonna have the best and worst moments of your life out on the playa. And I found that to be very true. Um, and honestly, that's partly why I like working it because it gives you a structure. Like I have a shift to get to. I could go out and wander and get lost for a little bit, but then I have this like role to play and this like thing to come back to. It's rather overwhelming to be out there for 10 days and just be like, okay, go do your thing so I've had um I went to Burning Man once as a participant before I started working there and I did attend the Renegade Burn this year which was really awesome um so yeah it's interesting because you know my experience of Burning Man is not quite like other people's experience of Burning Man um I've celebrated four birthdays on the playa um so that in itself is a pretty special experience um yeah so the, that question of like anecdotes of like the best and worst times um on the playa it's loaded um, so if it's not answerable that's okay something yeah, can't be it's, bottled it's not an easy thing to answer because i have had some really uh tough experiences out there um one having to do with my relationship that I was in and that was a, a bad experience um out there and then I've also like when you work at the commissary this is one of the best experiences but it wasn't even during the Burning Man event but um they have a event after the playa is over called the last supper and that's when it's the last meal that we all enjoy on playa and they ship in sushi and we have stuffed quail and they make this incredible fancy meal and we all dress up in our best outfits and um enjoy 
a meal and drink champagne and celebrate what we've created. And one year that landed on my birthday. And since I worked in the kitchen, um, all the kitchen guys knew me and they like made me a special bottle of desert wine that they like fermented out there themselves and um, baked me a and so it felt like that I had this huge party that was also kind of in celebration of me. And that was really special. Um, yeah, I could talk about one of my favorite art installations that I've ever seen, too. That is a pretty cool aspect. Um, since I mentioned it, I'll just tell you. It was called The Head Maze. And it was out there in the last year that they had the official Burning Man. And it was this giant head um, on the playa. And it was actually kind of special because, like, we went up to go inside and there was this big line waiting. And they were just telling everyone, okay, um, nobody else can come in for the day. Like, come back tomorrow. And so we went up to the guy and we're like, hey, we work for DPW, which is the Department of Public Works. And, um, you know, like, this is the only time that we have to check it out. And they were like, Oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, we did not even realize and just like, ushered us in in front of all the people, which is, you know, always kind of nice to get acknowledged and to get a certain privilege for your service um, anywhere. And this head was so cool, because it had all these different rooms um, that were meant to be different areas of the mind. And so some of them were like, a dusty, a dusty attic room filled with books and board games and things like that. And then there were like, there was like this cozy room that was all pink and had like fuzzy pillows and stuff like that. And there was this one room that it started out kind of big and like got narrower as you walked into it. And it was painted black and white spirals. And it had all of these really disturbing facts about the planet and about extinction and different things like that written in the spirals. And I was like, I've been here. Like I've been here in my mind um, so many times going down those rabbit holes. And that was, it. Was, just seeing it portrayed like that was so, um, poignant and then there was another room that like was really narrow and it was painted all black and it had all of these chains hanging from the ceiling um black chains and so you had to like push your way through these heavy chains to get to the other side and I've been in that space in my mind as well so it was really cool to see someone's portrayal of um mental illness and just the mental processes that we go through as humans and um, to get to explore that um, in a physical sense. That is dope. As within so of that, it's, uh, I mean, it's fun to kind of, you know, trip or meditate and go into these places, but have it actualized and represented in a, in a physical kind of, um, you know, stone and mortar way or whatever. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Raphael, uh, I've been talking a whole lot. You have any questions thus far? We can start shifting gears uh, into like your tarot and stuff. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, you got to like 2012. That's not terribly recently. You've been doing all these festivals, um, and that's pretty much what you do in the summer. What do you do? I mean, I don't. It's not that I'm like when I say I don't care. It's not like about what you do as a job, but like, what are you doing outside of the festival life, or is that just kind of merged into one thing now? 
Yeah, so that was um, my main flow. I would do festivals in the summer and work at ski resorts in the winter. Um, and that was really fun. I had a great time. And I got a little burnt out. Um, it was a pretty wild lifestyle. Um, so now I am shifting into being a tarot reader as my job and really wanting to bring tarot reading to festivals um, and do festivals in that sense because I'm still really passionate about these places where we can gather and have the freedom to be our most authentic selves and to dream up solutions for the planet. And I have not seen very many, I've actually never seen another tarot reader at a festival, um, which I was really surprised about. And so what I've been doing and what I've been working on is bringing tarot to festivals, teaching workshops, doing readings. And it's really beautiful because a lot of people will be like, I'll give them a reading and they'll be like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense because yesterday I had this super synchronistic experience where all of these things were brought up. So it really helps people to integrate the experiences that they're having and actually know how to bring that into their lives when they go home rather than, okay, I'm going to go home and keep living life as I have been and wait for the next event. So that's my goal is to bring tarot to festivals and teach workshops there and bring this um, art to help um, people have a more well-rounded experience. And yeah. We're all about tarot here, obviously, I'm pulling cards and shit. Um, so how did you, uh, how do you interpret tarot? Uh, sometimes I explain it to people like you're chopping up a comic book and we're projecting our story onto that and you're going to see what you need to see. Sometimes, you know, people can get very woo about it, right? Where it's like, almost like the Holy Spirit's guiding me to this card. And, you know, you see what I'm saying? It's like, it can be yeah. really practical or really magical and everywhere in between. So how, yeah. you don't have to give like a definitive answer, but uh, how, how are you processing the fool's journey and the whole situation there? Yeah, so I um, do mess with the future at all. I'll just say that um, first and foremost. I believe my highest responsibility as a tarot reader is to empower people to make their own destinies um, and to make choices that will um, guide their lives um, in alignment with, with what feels right for them. And so I would never, ever, ever take someone's power away by saying this is going to happen to you. Um, so that's my first thing. I really focused on the present moment. To be truthful, I believe that tarot tells you what you already know. It helps no, you um, cut through all the noise and all the societal expectations and the opinions of your mom and all of the um, outside noise. It helps you to like get past that and find your truth reflected back at you, see what you already know. And so my clients are always like, oh, well, I already knew that. And I'm like, yeah. And so now you know that you're right and you should follow what you already knew. Yeah. Um, in my life, I was super indecisive growing up. Like I could never make up my mind about anything. I always had other people decide what I wanted to eat, what I wanted to wear. Like I just didn't um, have a whole lot of desire to choose my own path and that might have been due to the way that I was raised as well because I had a lot of my decisions made for me um, in a lot of ways 
And so once I started working with the tarot, all of a sudden I was like, it was like gradual, not all of a sudden, it was gradual. But after a while of working with the tarot, I found all of a sudden that I did know what I wanted in my life. I did know what I wanted to eat. I did know what I wanted to do with my life, did know who I was. And the more that I had these inner truths reflected at me through the cards, the more I was able to trust myself and be like, oh, actually, I've been giving away my power for years and letting other people make my choices for me. And now I don't have to do that. I can run that for myself and use the tarot as a modality um, to help me connect to that inner truth. That's what's up. I'm, I'm curious, Raphael, and obviously Celie. Um, sovereignty is a funny thing with tarot because I've had friends who like won't, you know, I'll be like, should I trip today? And be like, oh shit, okay, yes, or you know, like that kind of stuff where I am really kind of leaving it up to the cards, which I think is kind of a trust fall of sorts or whatever. But if you end up doing that too much, you really kind of relegate your power externally, which has its own, you know, well, its own I had vibes. This, so, just very yeah, simply yeah, and recently, I'm curious to what you say, see, but recently had this and this is originally, let's say, a Bashar trick, but recently came up in a channeling did as well. Someone was like, yeah, I'm 50-50 on this. What should I choose, you know? And it's the coin flip trick. And the same can be applied with tarot because, of course, you can use tarot in a way to give you a yes-no answer. But even then, I'm getting it. It says no, but I know I really want it. And, you know, then I will, I will become conscious through the symbol of my own actual emotion and decision. So even then, if I keep that in mind and realize that, no matter how many cards I'm laying out, the authority is still with me, then, you know, there's no pitfall there, I would say. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, and if you believe that the guidance is coming from you, not from the cards, not even necessarily from the universe, which I do believe it is from the universe, but from the part of the universe that is in me, um, <laughs> if that makes sense, because I am universe as well. Um, so I really think that, you know, the guidance is coming from you. So you are ultimately the source of wisdom, no matter what, no matter how you're interacting with the cards. Um, I've actually thought about that a lot because I've started working with a pendulum as well, because tarot's not great at yes or no answers. Um, and sometimes I'll be, I'll be like, you know, hanging my pendulum and I'll be asking a question and then an answer will come to my mind. It'll I'll be thinking yes or I'll be thinking no. And usually and obviously the pendulum will reflect that. And at first I was like, am I just influencing the pendulum to do what I want it to? Um, but then I realized, well, no, because the guidance is coming from within me. So of course, I already know what the answer is. That's my intuition letting me know, hey, you already know what you want. Um, you can get this validation from this external thing, but it's still coming from you. So I still find that it helps me to um, embody that sovereignty. I mean, it's like uh, any story. I mean, you, this is why Disney is so powerful, or, you know, any Pixar or whatever, um, because we have a super adept ego that is trying to filter out so much. And these kind of symbols and stories can kind of cut through that at a level um, to where you're just resonating on, a, on an archetypal level. And it's getting it's getting beyond your, uh, you know, boundaries that are more kind of inculcated through culture and stuff. Uh, it's always funny. Um I mean, I'm curious how you got into tarot. Uh, 
I was not into it really at all. And then I basically had this like one or two week tryst with this girl who was a lot younger than me at the time. She was 18 and I was like 28. And she called me a few weeks later, months later. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh shit, hopefully this isn't a bad call, like pregnancy or something. Um, but she was like, I've actually become a Jehovah's Witness or something crazy. Do you want all my occult shit? And uh, she had this zombie tarot deck, and I was kind of like, all right, you know, why not? And I started messing with it. For, to me, it's an art history dropout. It's all about the art, really. Uh, right. I have a, a lot of decks, like the Starman tarot deck. I mean, this is dope art to me. It's not necessarily, I just got my first Rider weight because um, Amazon or PayPal was like, here's $15 for free. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll get a borderless right away. Um, so I just <laughs> got that. And I think actually there's a lot of validity in Rider weight. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen it, I'll send you a link. Um, send you a link. Uh, it's 21 Faces of God. It's a really good major arcana documentary kind of focusing on the cultural relevance of music and movies and stuff, kind of using a lot of symbology to explain the fool's journey through a right away lens. Uh, in any event, just because you bring it up, Jim, I highly recommend it mm -hmm. because a dear friend of mine was asking about, you know, where, where to get, you know, good information on tarot. All I'm finding is like the superficial BS explanations mm -hmm. and I'm sending her the link from you. And immediately yeah. was like, I only watched 20 minutes and it's exactly more than it's I was crack. what I wanted. Yeah. It's perfect, you know, so greatly recommended, you know, highly recommended. It's like two and a half hours. I want to get the guy, Robert Bonomo. He has he has 21 Faces of God, which is like this really kind of like, I mean, it's it's almost like a Gnostic sojourn. I mean, even to the point where it's like talking about Kabbalah and be like, you got to be 42 to even do this shit. Like, I mean, it's getting a little weird. It, I mean, it's not, it's not dogmatic. By I'd like to recommend one other series, which is called, um, I think, The Path of the Fool by Michael Tessarian. The only unfortunate thing is that this is um, not uh, online anymore. So um, it's it's behind yeah. the paywall, basically. I think it's on unslave.com. Oh, but uh, yeah, no, good, bills, good stuff. Guess. No, it was public, but you know, I can also understand some people eventually choosing to, you know, draw some boundaries in a sense. But yeah, there's, sure. there's some, there's some great documentaries that really go in depth much more than, you know, superficial half page, you know, descriptions and so on. I threw away the Rider Waite tarot booklet, like with this deck, I was like, this is shit. Like I get it's original, but I was like, I, I got it. Like through other stuff. Um, Alejandro Jodorowsky has a good book. I haven't read it, but he's got the whole Holy Mountain situation going on. Um, but I'm kind of curious. Um, and Rafa, I'm, I don't know if I've ever heard this. How did you guys like? What was your first deck like? How did you get? What was the thing that turned you on? Because at first I was like, I'm just going to pull a card for the beginning, the middle, and the end of the day, and then and then at the end of the day, kind of see if it jived. You know, be like, is this what I experienced? And it was. It became uncanny enough that I was like. I'm in a story and I'm reading my, you know, like what is life or, you know, it got really weird kind of quick. Um, so what, what got you into it like that? Um, because I doubt your mom was getting that for Christmas back in the day or whatever. No. So, yeah. so it's a good question. I was for some re you know, reason, probably you can read that in my astrology, never completely dismissive of religion or occultism, even though I wasn't, you know, brought into any particular system, church or denomination or anything. Um, so I guess I got a deck at like 17 or something, but it was a Toth deck, which is, you know, great, very, you know, great art and so on, but completely, how should I say, at least the pictures themselves, unrelatable, unless you really have good, you know, get good insight and occult knowledge, at least if I look at them now, you know, for me now, really esoteric deck. <laughs> for me now, the right away, it actually is the most, you know, easily symbolically understandable, let's say that has the easiest progression. Oh, you have a cat? Is it a cat or a dog? See? It's a dog. It's this a dog. Is, oh, nice. This is Luna. Yeah, oh, this is nice. my baby Luna. Nice. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I was introduced to the tarot actually first by my best friend um, that I've known since high school, um, Kat. And she's a nurse and she is a very scientifically minded. She's very much like she believes in things after they've been proven to her through her experience. And she started reading tarot. She was working with the Wild Unknown deck and um, she lived in Ireland at the time. I was still living here and I would call her when I was having issues um, in my life and I would be like, Kat, I need a reading. And so she would pull cards for me and give me phone readings. Um, and she told me when she first started talking about um, the tarot that, you know, she was like, I've experienced so much through nursing that I can't deny that energy is real. And she's like, I don't know how it works, but I know it's a thing. So that was kind of my first intro. And then I got an Oracle deck. I started out with Oracle because I was kind of scared of tarot because I did think that it was all future I'll be real. Like tarot is cool. Yeah. And I think it's like the Holy Grail in a sense, but Oracle cards are just as helpful. Yes, totally. But I was more afraid that like I Get would <laughs> create self-fulfilling prophecies or something like that. Um, so it, it was, there was a lot of resistance there for me to begin working with the tarot. Um, so after a while of working with Oracle decks and seeing the way that those improved my life and my intuition, I finally felt ready. I was just like, okay, I want to check out tarot. I want to see what this is all about. And I got the, they say that you're not supposed to get your own tarot deck, but I think that we take control of our lives. And if we want something, we should go get it. So I got um, the Fountain Tarot um, as my first deck, which looking back, that was not an easy deck to learn with. Um, it's very artistic. Each card is like a mini masterpiece, um, really beautiful artwork, um, but it doesn't have the clear symbology like the Rider-Waite. And um, like you, Jim, I didn't actually get a Rider a Rider weight deck until I had already been working with the tarot for years. And I don't actually read with it very much. I think because I don't relate to the art that much. I love it and I respect it. And I use it for reference all the time. But I don't necessarily, I like um, yeah. more modern contemporary decks that kind of reflect um, how I see the world. Um rather than this kind of old fashioned way of looking at things. But I have a lot of decks that I work with and I do believe that, um, I kind of think of tarot as like a language and each deck is like a different dialect or each reader has its own dialect. Um, and each deck has its own interpretations of each card. So- um, She loves you. <laughs> I know, she's a good girl. So, um, yeah, it, each time I interact with a new deck, I learn so much more about these universal archetypes and seeing it through these different lenses. I, I was gifted a Thoth deck when I was in Australia. I left it there with the original, not intentionally, I thought I was actually going to go back, but I didn't, because um, of COVID, largely, um, but other reasons too. Uh, so I left that, zombie, the zombie tarot deck was the first one, it was like this really kitschy kind of weird art, and it was always the art for me. I, I think, I don't know why, I mean... Maybe it's 12th house, 12th house Mercury stuff, but I feel like, you know, a picture says a thousand words kind of thing. 
So, um, and it's weird because Rider Waite um, was cutting edge tech at one point. I mean, that was like, oh my God, who's doing all this? But it's so, that's uh, not archaic in a bad way, but it's so ingrained that I think there's next levels. Um, just like, I don't know, you know, music festivals evolve and people evolve. So it's fascinating to see where these things are going. Um, in a way, it's tricky. I don't know how you feel. I think some people, how do I put this? It's a democratized situation in that anybody can do it. I really think anybody can kind of pull a card and have fun with it. But I think some people have the shine more than others. <laughs> uh, I think you would probably be one of those uh, people, but just because of your chart I'm looking at, it, it's like you got a lot of water. It's You're going to be pretty in tune with a lot of stuff intuitively. So um, what is your opinion? Like, how, how do you approach that in your own mind? Like, do you think like, I'm not usually telling people go get decks, although it's obvious that I'm enthusiastic about it. So I hope they find joy in it, but it's almost like, it's almost a little like psychedelics where it's like, everyone should probably get stoned at some point in their life. Acid's maybe not for everybody. DMT is yeah. like, you know what I mean? It's like that where it's like, holy shit. Like you gotta really want it, want it. Um, yeah. What is, what is your advertising kind of modality in terms of that? How, um, you know, democratic are you with it? Uh, are you bigoted like me thinking there's muggles and wizards or like how, how are you feeling about it? <laughs> <laughs> um i definitely think you know i would say that a muggle is someone that hasn't been awakened to their inner wizard i think we all yeah. we all have an inner wizard some people never have the pleasure of accessing it and that is tragic um i am someone who believes that there is magic everywhere in the world um so, yeah, I definitely believe that everyone has the ability to tap into that. And I think that everyone has a different way of accessing that part of themselves. It might not be tarot for everyone. I do think that we all have an intuition. We all have um, multiple senses. And it's important to access those parts of ourselves because otherwise we're kind of just we're like walking blind, you know, Going when you're missing a life. sense. Yeah. Um you're doing kind of a disservice to yourself um, and missing out on something that can really help you in your human experience. So, um, yeah, however people are able to access their intuition, um, I think it's important that they do so. And I think it could be through many things, through meditation, through animals or colors, through synchronicities, through um, other psychic ventures through themes, you know, we all have um, situations in our lives when we encounter that part of ourselves. So it's just about finding the way that works for us the best in order to continue to return to that, um, that inner world. That's what's up. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I'm just kind of curious, because I think sometimes people with any kind of occult knowledge, I mean, the whole thing is hidden. It's like only a, a, you're an elect get in, or you've got to be initiated. And in some weird way, I think that's true. Um, just I would, I've never done ayahuasca, but I don't think just giving it to anybody willy nilly is probably a great idea. Um, yeah. but at the same time, it's a weird, and this is where I'm like, we're always talking about this in the podcast. It's like, am I naive to think everything's working out to the glory of God or whatever? It's like, it's all good, but then there's some paths that are like less helpful, I guess. Uh, like yeah. Luke didn't have to lose an arm necessarily in Star Wars. He could have, you know, done a little different. Um, so kind of shifting gears, um, Ganesh is behind you. I know Raphael's got probably a similar tapestry facing, you know, what he's facing, as I recall. Um, 
what's the story there with you? I mean, I, we were talking about recently, there's a mouse. Uh, there's a lot of little symbology going on with Ganesh that is not something that I know much about. I'm not particularly steeped in um, Hindu mythology. So, uh, and if you're not, that's cool. If it's just a design element, all good. I don't even care. Like I'm not, you know, making sacred geometry tar tar uh, tapestries and is one behind me. Um, what is the significance of any of uh, the remover of obstacles behind you? Yeah, great question. Um, honestly, I have this tapestry. It was a gift from a partner of mine many years ago. Um, I... I know a little bit about um, Ganesh or Janessa. I just really, I just learned that the way it's pronounced in India is Janessa. I don't know that much um, about about this um, system of deities, um, to be honest. But I do have respect for all of the. Um, different faiths and beliefs and deities and I find inspiration from all of um, the different symbols and cultures and so I think it's just for me it's a way of staying connected to um, the rest of magic. the world you know yeah, yeah. yeah staying connected to the magic in the rest of the world absolutely um you mentioned something earlier about the fool's journey um can i tell you what my take is on that definitely <laughs> for shark okay um so i <laughs> um, yeah i've been um thinking a lot about about the fool's journey um recently over the last few months and i feel like i've really come to a deeper understanding of what it is and i think um my interpretation of it basically is like we are these expansive souls like these universal beings that have um incredible amounts of wisdom and so i think to me like the journey of the fool is basically us as this like huge expansive soul being like, okay, I want to have an earthly experience. I want to learn what it is to be a human and have these emotions and learn these lessons. And in order to do that, I have to forget everything that I've already known and squeeze myself into this tiny human body that's so limited and, um, you know, be born anew. And so that to me is like the full, the beginning of the fool's journey is like us leaping off of this cliff from our universal spirit into a human body and forgetting everything that we know. And then relearning along the way, remembering who we are through that journey, um, through the major arcana and the world, when we reach the end of the cycle, the world is really like embodying what we came here to do. Because I do believe that each of us had some sort of purpose or intention um, that we set when we decide to have a human experience. And so I think that when you reach the world, you are, you remember, you remember what you came here to do and you are living that out in the human realm in the earthly realm and it's really interesting because i um work with birth and year cards and so um my year card my card of the year is the world and i've been pulling the world and the fool like crazy since 
this beginning of the new year. Um, so I feel like that's really where I'm at in my journey of self-realization and really living out my purpose um, on this planet. And I think that's really powerful. Well said. I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, I don't presume you're into anime, but uh, Raphael turned me on. We had an episode on uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Is that right? Yeah. We watched all the movies, watched the shows from, I was like, what the fuck? If you've never seen that shit, it's on Netflix. It's Narnar. It's, it's, it's next level, but it's basically about capitalistic apotheosis, which is essentially the world card um, where you're just like, I am the whole thing. I, it is me. It's through me. Anything yeah, I ever almost saw thinking, enemy or, you know, See, the way you described it is, because I would also have said until now, the whole point is just as you described it, but then the world card being once again recognizing oneself as the world. So recognizing oneself as the world, however, the way you put it is almost like realizing oneself as the world in a sense that whatever you were, you chose yourself to what process you went through, there is also a type, even though this gets very psychedelic quick, I think, but a type of transferent of whatever essence you chose to bring to this particular scenario of a planet. Um, and eventually also that has to, you know, seep out of you or get imprinted onto the world, whatever this is. So it's almost like probably two cycles for many, unfortunately, the first one get reminded again that it's all you, which we are taught to forget, and then do it again. And, you know, make that transference happen maybe yeah so make your effect obvious for all to see in a sense and not even because it has to happen or how should i say because it's like a big chore or anything but just because that's the process of an incarnation you know something automatic yeah. i was walking my brother's fiance now he's proposed to her a girlfriend of two years um they just got back from europe i'm like oh yeah they're getting married now um i was walking the dog uh, earlier today and it's like it's so weird because it takes, I mean, it's trippy, I guess, in a sense, but if you do these expansive drugs or meditation, I mean, it doesn't even have to just be through psychedelics, but if you do enough mindfulness, I guess is the thing, and get outside of yourself in a certain way, um, I was walking around being like, oh, wow, I am this environment, like, my conditions are this condition right now, in a sense. <laughs> it's like, okay, so how far does that go? Is it this five feet? Is it like how Joey, this dog, is doing and me? Like, we're in this vibe? where it doesn't end it's this you know it just goes the whole way out and in some quantumly entangled weird way um the world is a stage and we are but players but it, it's like we're directors doing cameos or something it's a really weird trip um that's a nice I, way to I, put it directors yeah. doing cameos i like it but, and I, but it, i don't know it's weird because we forget that but then i think you can get almost like high on that thought and it's like hard to function at that level uh, you're a Virgo. I mean, it can become very impractical if you're just like, ah, namaste, all is one. I am high on 10 strips or whatever, you know, mode. Um, <laughs> it's like hard to bring that back into like reality. I think maybe Burning Man is this weird halfway point where it's like it's very dosed and psychedelic and crazy. But at the same time, they're going to feed you. You have you're wearing clothes. Probably most people uh, you're wearing some form of garment and you're functioning as a biological entity in this terra firma. You know, what I mean, it's like so it's, it's this weird cross of matter kind of thing. Um, I mean, that's the whole point of the hangman, I guess, in some way, where it's like, holy shit, uh, <laughs> these white blood cells raging inside of me against viruses, that's me, and then I guess the Milky Way is me, you know, Stardust and all this stuff. It's not news to you, but it just, um, it's a perplexing situation how to get that kind of grandeur and awe. I, I mean, I think that's some of the magic that's been missing in religions a lot. I mean, it's one thing to get, you know, go to a church service, as you know, well know, um, 
because this is basically what's happening. I'm not even discrediting the validity of spirituality and Christian belief and all this stuff. But basically, you know, people are going to go listen to Third Day and stuff, get turned on to a, a frequency of entertainment, hopefully at worst <laughs> entertainment. But like they're trying to alter their consciousness. I mean, that's the whole point. It's like, OK, we're going to do a, a ritual like this is the sacrament or we're going to sing a song. And I, I mean, especially if you were like serious about Christianity, you can get into places where you're moved by the spirit in such a way that it's like irksome. And it's just like, holy shit, I'm up, I'm in this bitch and it's all happening. Um, yeah. Maybe tarot and astrology and some of these things can re-magic, re I don't even know the right word, kind of bring the spirit that has been dormant for a long time in, in reality. Because patriarchy is going so far in certain directions that like, you know, all people think about is like their crypto or, which is fine, but we need to remember that we're in a dream, like walking in a dream in some weird way. And then we do have tools to like kind of anchor um i'm binging lost i used to live in honolulu uh so i've seen it before but i was just like oh i'm probably not gonna watch a whole lot of tv anymore so i might as well binge all this stuff <laughs> don't ask so i'm like all right i gotta watch lost and it's just like it's very much like that where everybody's just telling stories with each other and it's this kind of orgy of story in a weird way uh, we talked about it yesterday on the podcast with some people about touch and um they were talking about tantra and uh, if you've had the epiphany, it's cool, but it's hard to translate. It's like everything's fucking. Everything is polarity interchange. Everything is like cycling and going through this thing. So I, my hope is that, you know, having conversations like this shows people that we're not that crazy. And it's a real Narnia door if you want to go through it. Um, you're not going to go to hell or anything like that. Um, and that these are practical tools. I think that's really the biggest yeah. part. Uh, that it's not just so much like I've got to go to the jungle and talk to a shaman stuff necessarily. Yeah. That could be on one's path. This is like just shuffle things and kind of sit there and sit in your mind and focus on an idea. And you're going to quantumly entangle with that at a participatory level in such a way that, like you said, you're going to guide yourself. Um, yeah. So it's cool that you're doing it. Um, I, I appreciate that you're trying to shift it into professional gear. I mean, I give readings, but basically it's like toss me some crumbs and we'll call it energetic even or whatever um i hope you can you know sustain with that um is there anything we haven't talked about or that you want to talk about uh we can kind of start shifting gears to closing down i know rafael is not wide awake in vienna austria it's a little later there um although he's not affected by this he would say uh but i try to be cognizant towards the end of these uh podcasts it's like okay he's probably getting tired um yeah uh, so what are your plans? Um, wh where can people find you? What are some of your goals for the year? Uh, stuff like that, uh, projects you're part of, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I'm happy to share about that. Um, I'd love to just touch on a couple of the things that you just said. Um, first of all, um, I feel like what you said about like realizing that we're all in a dream. Um, that's really how I see the sword suit. Um, I think the journey of the swords and to help me understand the sword suit, I like to take off the first S and I think of it as words. It's our story. It's our beliefs. It's like what we choose to narrate through our lives. And so we like, it's that journey of awakening to the fact that we are in a dream and becoming lucid in the dream and taking like never control. Ending story, right? Like, um, Holy shit, I'm reading this. Then please, yeah, and, as and we speak really of the swords, lucid. tell us yeah. about the, the interpretation because one of the, I think, funniest cards, or I mean, if I'm saying funniest, most interesting cards, tell us about the Ten of Swords. So what happens Ooh. at the end in the Rider Waite, of course, when the guy is lying on the beach, Ten Gemini Swords card. in his back, yeah. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> it's a joke. Oh, this explains a lot. So kindly, or maybe just briefly outline how you see the process of the swords and especially the 10. What's your interpretation? Because the image on the right of weight by some 
could be interpreted as quite gruesome. So I'm curious as to what you think. Yeah, totally. Um, and since we've been talking about the writer weight so much, I'd love to just give credit to Pixie Smith, who was the artist of this deck. Um, she was queer, she was colored, she was amazing. Um, and she doesn't get a whole lot of credit um, for her work, um, which is so iconic in this culture. Um, so to me, this the Ten of Swords is that ultimate awakening and reclamation of our power to write our own story. I see those swords as the beliefs and the the narratives that we've been told by people around us. And those wounds, those swords in our backs have been in there for so long, it's like we forgot that they were even in there. And so it can be really painful to dig in and say, oh, wait, that doesn't belong to me. That never belonged to me and pull these swords out of our consciousness. And so I think the sword, you know, the best um, analogy I have is like a pen or um, even our tongue. You know, they say that the pen or your word is a double edged sword. That's how I really view the sword suit. And so it's really taking that weapon, taking that power back into our own hands and saying, okay, I'm done with that story that was told for me. And it's my chance to make my own story. It's my chance to write this narrative. And that's why we have the rising sun in the background, because it's like a blank page. It's a, our chance to like, start over and have us be in the driver's seat of our lives and of our consciousness. So it's a really powerful transition. Yeah, I would agree. And last thing to mention is, what is happening because he's not, you know, in some kind of medieval castle or somewhere or at a market or whatever, but he's lying on the beach. And most likely what's the next thing that's going to happen, there will be the rising tide and all that, you know, overly defined, concrete, negative belief system, self-limitation is just getting reabsorbed into the unity of all consciousness, you know, <laughs> at least that's the way I like yeah. to see it. So there's always a new cycle, you know, it's not, this is never, it's not the end because many people, you know, they're scared of the death card and so on, yeah. which usually actually can be very positive if, you know, the charge is transformed uh, in the appropriate way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really beautiful way to look at that. And yeah, I do think that these tools are so accessible um, with helping us learn about who we are and relate to the world around us. And um, really, like you said, they kind of erase that um, that gateway, that gatekeeper between us and the spiritual or the occult, you know, it's not like we have to go to some priest or hierophant to give us the sacred knowledge. It's tools that we can use to reclaim our own um, connection with spirit. So I'll leave it with that. And I'd love to tell you about all the exciting things that are coming up for me this year. Um, I have a website coming out in early February. I'm super excited about it. Um, you can check out the sneakiest peek at deepseatarot.com and um, sign up for my email list and you'll be the first to know when it goes live. Um, I'm really excited about having a place online to put my essence and um, all of my 
wisdom and projects and events in one place. Um, another exciting project that I'm working on that I haven't actually told anyone else about yet. Um, I'm Secret of the moon, watch out. Don't worry, we, we won't tell anyone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm working on an Oracle deck with a okay. art collective in Portland. So they are going to give me a collection of art and I get to divine the meanings and write the guidebook for it, which is such an honor and such an exciting project to work on. I am also obsessed with art. That's another reason why I love tarot. Art and storytelling is my jam. And so I the idea of getting to interact with art in this way and really allow the divine guidance to flow through me um, for each of those art pieces is um, something I'm very stoked about. Um, so right that's going to be coming oh, yeah. out probably in the springtime. Um, what else is coming well, up? Obviously, gonna have to do an episode on that at some point, just for the record. It's like, yeah, I would love to. Like, What's up? Show us your cards. Talk about how this came about. Um, because that yeah. whole process is fascinating. Like you said, Pixie, I didn't realize her uh, gender political persuasion and stuff. I just knew that the chick didn't get much credit, and she made the art. And like the guy, right, the right, you know, writer was the guy who wrote or wait or whatever. Um, it's writer wait yeah. something. I forget. It's on my deck that I just got. It's like her name's on there, but I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. So projects continue. Yeah, so that's also very exciting. Um, I'm also going to be doing, in the springtime, um, I haven't exactly landed on a date yet, but I'm going to be doing a tarot journey. So it's going to be a four-week program where we're going to be using the tarot and um, meditation and journaling and group sessions to really dive into the idea of self love and really being your own soulmate. So this year is a lover's year. The card of the year is the lovers. And for me, that's really more about falling deep, more deeply in love with myself through the reflection of my experience and my relationships and the world around me. And um, personally, in my own life, I've been going through a big journey of um, I kind of grew up really in love with the idea of the fairy tale of like finding the one. And um, that was my obsession for many years. And um, in the last year, I just um, removed myself from a, an almost six year relationship. And after doing that, I really realized like, oh my gosh, I'm the one, like I'm the one that's going to be by my side for the rest of my life, no matter what. I'm going to be the one that's going to be there in sickness and health um, until the day I die. And so I need to work on having a really solid, beautiful relationship with myself and really supporting myself in the way that I need to be supported. So I'd love to help other people in that journey as well. And I think it's really important. I think it's one of the biggest themes of this year. And I've heard that reflected in the people around me. So you can stay tuned for that with, for that as well by signing up for my email list on my website. It's going to all have um, all the information on there. And other than that, I'm going to be doing some local festivals and events, um, doing tarot for those. And, um, yeah, just, um, I like to do seasonal offerings. I like to, um, create different spreads to help us along 
with whatever cosmic and earthly energies are affecting us at any given time. So um, that's where I really put my my passion and my creativity um, into my offerings. So I think that's about everything. Got a pretty busy, fun year ahead, it seems. So props. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you. Um, yeah, dude, thanks for coming on. I know, like, we now know who you are. I'm glad Neon suggested you. You're cool as fuck. So, uh, definitely, you. Hole. we'll have to get you back on when the deck comes out. Maybe get you on with some other people. I'm just thinking um, it'd be fun to just shoot shit about Terrell. I'll send you a link to that 21 Faces thing because I think you'll dig that. Uh, Please otherwise, do. Yeah, are there any kind of parting sentiments? Uh, it doesn't have to be like, you know, a golden nugget of epitaph worth or, you know, like the biggest point ever. You could say, meaningless whatever you could say a cool point whatever but uh so no pressure is my point but is there anything you kind of want to leave people with in terms of uh, just you know a, a, an idea of inspiration or something that you think they should think about etc yeah i mean like i was just talking about it's a lover's year and i think the most important thing is falling more deeply in love with yourself, recognizing your own power, um, finding the ways that you're giving that away and reclaiming it and um, having a lot of compassion for yourself because we've all been through so much in the last couple years. And um, I, okay, this is what I want to say. We are in such an incredible time um, on the planet. We're really like on the threshold of the old world and the new world like this technological age is so crazy and I can barely wrap my mind around it but like this is a huge turning point for this planet I really believe that there is a huge evolution of consciousness that's happening right now and so if you're here on this planet right now alive like you are exactly where you're meant to be and the earth needs you to be here and to offer all of that all that you are because you are um you're critical in this evolution. You're exactly where you're meant to be. So just do what you got to do to keep keep being here. So what's up? Yeah, trust the process, uh, basically. Yeah. Guys, that out yourself. there, uh, we are all, you know, find the others, the whole Timothy Leary thing, but like that's what yeah. Timber Models is all about. So I'm glad that we know you're out there. Um, people will figure out uh, how to contact you and follow your journey and we'll get you back on here at some point so thanks for giving us your time and energy um yeah guys find the fucking others they're out there they exist awesome. yeah um you can also find me at on instagram at deep sea tarot um i'd love if you guys give me a follow i share lots of fun things about life and tarot on there so um yeah so great to meet you both you're also both super dope i can't wait to continue having deep conversations diving through the rabbit hole um thank you for what you're doing well hopefully your first podcast wasn't horrifyingly bad uh you're getting back on that celebrity wagon j-lo watch out so uh, i had a great time i could talk for three more hours so (laughs) i I mean trust we we already did a podcast before this and i think rafael did one before that and we've got one at like eight in the morning my time tomorrow it's crazy sometimes but it is what it is so um anyway thanks we'll get you back thank you so much for sharing your story and all those you know synchronicities and insights and yeah, what I think we're going to do eventually, we're just going to do some tarot roundtable because we have a few tarot readers, ultimately. Brian also just released his new decks. And uh, yeah, you know, we got to promote all the new cool creative decks coming out and, you know, all Yay. the divination, all the, exactly, all the, make all the tools available, you know. 
to those that feel themselves responsible enough to be using them. So yeah. Beautiful. It's a gateway drug, kids. Watch out. Tara yeah. is like the <laughs> mom's getting into Enneagram right now. I'm like, that's like soft. Like, okay, Enneagram's <laughs> cool, but like get into astrology. Anyway, thanks again for coming on and we'll talk to you later. Thanks again and right. thank you and thanks everyone for listening and watching. Catch you all next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.